Thanks for downloading Scott Harold's podcast. If you use a smart speaker, you can always ask Alexa to enable the SOS radio skill. Talking about praying bolder prayers today at SOS Radio. We're talking with J.D. Greer. He's a best-selling author. He's pastor of the Sump Church in North Carolina. Also been president of the SBC. Good morning, J.D. Hey, good morning, Scott. Thanks for having me on. So when was the last time you prayed a prayer that sort of scared you? <laughs> scared me? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, you know, I have three teenage daughters. You know, I call them my North Koreans because now they're smart enough to make nuclear bombs but not mature enough to handle them. <laughs> uh, so I feel like every prayer that I pray about them is scary. Uh, just thinking about, you know, because there, there comes a time as a parent, you know, where you, you're like, I'm done with what I really feel like I can put in, at least in a major sense, and now I've got to trust God, the heavenly gardener, the father, to grow this seed, and, and only he can do that. So that scares me. It's funny, the more you realize you're not in control, the more breakthrough you get sometimes. That's absolutely right. In fact, one of the questions I wrestle with and just ask is, why is it that some of the good things we pray for, things that are in God's will, why does he require persistence in asking? Why does he require sometimes months, sometimes years of persistence? And it's partially because he wants to test our resolve to see if we really believe that he's the only source of the solution and, and if he's really good. And that's what scripture teaches us about you know, how we to wait on God. Can we be honest? When we're praying, sometimes we feel like God isn't answering our prayers, or maybe there's hindrances to our relationship with God that makes it hard to pray. And we're talking with J.D. Greer today at SWS Radio. He's a best-selling author, and he was the head of the SBC. He's a pastor in North Carolina. J.D., you just wrote a book digging into why we just have to ask. And where we start with praying is asking for repentance. And if we don't have a relationship with God, that's the first place to start. But there's a a lot of reasons why we just don't feel connected to God. And, and if we don't repent and own that, it starts this whole cycle. Yeah. And one of the biggest hindrances to prayer is that we feel like when we don't pray, we're not close to God. And so it's like this vicious cycle of like, well, I've got to pray in order to get close to God, but it's only feeling close to God that motivates you to pray. You know, really what, what's changed my own prayer life is what I call a gospel based understanding of prayer. It's not prayer in order to get close to God. It's prayer that grows out of the closeness that God has brought you into, that how close God has made himself to you. Really what happens is instead of prayer being a duty, something you feel like you have to do to be a good Christian, it grows out of a longing that you have to spend time with your heavenly father because you know how much he loves you. The title, Just Ask, comes from the idea that throughout all the teachings of Jesus on prayer, the one through line in all of them is that we're just children coming to a Heavenly Father. That's it. And children don't spend a lot of time, you know, my children don't talk to me to try to check items off a list. You know, got to talk 10 minutes to dad today or I'm not a very good son. They don't think about the posture of their heart. They don't think about using the right words. They just come to me with a need because they know that I care about them and I'll take care of them. And that's how God wants us to approach him is, is with that understanding of, of him as our Heavenly Father. When we have that understanding, it produces a desire to pray that takes it from duty to delight. There's a strange tension when it comes to prayer because it's about getting to know God and so much of that acknowledgement and that growth comes out of that relationship of the conversation with him. But if we don't have a relationship with God, we throw up like these Hail Mary prayers like hoping he hears us thinking, hey, I need you, God, but I don't really know you and you don't and, and I'm not sure that you know me. It's like, 
Where do you see that whole idea of does God answer prayers the same way for people that don't have a relationship with him as he does for people who are just like, hey, God, I need you even though I don't know you? (laughs) Well, I mean, we should never underestimate the compassion of God, how he sometimes will hear people that don't have any relationship to him because he's a merciful God. And they're all throughout scripture. You see people that are praying that are not God's children that he hears and in compassion, he, he listens. But at its core, prayer is a privilege for a child of God. And so, no, he doesn't hear the prayers of somebody that doesn't know him and has surrendered to him and has received the gift of his son for them. He doesn't hear their prayers the same way that he hears those of us who have been reconciled to him. It's possible, even as a Christian, I'll tell you, Scott, it's possible. My wife and I have been thinking about this a lot recently. It's possible to pray like an orphan, like somebody who doesn't have the assurance of the love of a father. Sometimes, especially when things aren't going your way and, and, and the job's not working out or the kid's not acting right or you know the marriage isn't what it's supposed to be. And you say, God, you know, you almost feel like, is he angry at me? Is he there? Is he paying attention? That's praying like an orphan. And what scripture says is, you know, to quote James 1, when you come to God, you don't doubt the consistency and the goodness of his love for you. Because if you do doubt, you know, James says, let not that man think you will receive anything from the Lord. And so there's a confidence that being a son or a daughter of God gives you and a boldness. You know, all those words you read a minute ago in the subtitle, those all grow out of our gospel relationship with God or our relationship with God through the gospel. Prayer is such an interesting thing because essentially it's a conversation with God, but a lot of times we use it more like it's a monologue. And we're talking with J.D. Greer today at SWS Radio. and He's a pastor of the Summit Church in North Carolina, he's an author of several books, including Above All. And, you know, J.D., it's so interesting because a lot of times we think about the way that we're praying is like how we talk to our wife or how we talk to our parents. And it's like, well, I'm going to debate with you. I'm going to argue with you. And I'm going to convince you that I'm right and I need you to do this for me. Do you feel like prayers ever actually change God's mind? That's a very, very loaded question because Scripture (laughs) teaches, on the one hand, that God knows the end from the beginning, that his plans don't change. It's not like we ever point out something to God and God's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. One of the ways I, I say it, there's a quote in the book I have where it says, you know, has it ever dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned on God? You know, so you're not going to say anything that changes his calculus for making a decision. However, there are all these stories throughout the Bible where, at least reading it on the surface, it appears that Jesus or God is doing something because he was asked, not because he had, you know, and I put this in air quotes, sovereignly chosen to do it. You know, I think of Moses in the Old Testament, Exodus 32, where it says that after God declared his intention to destroy the people, Moses persuaded God, and God repented, actually uses the word repented, changed his mind. Well, I mean, just reading that on the surface, it means that God, you know, was going to do one thing, and because of Moses' prayer, he did another. So you want to accept all that the Bible teaches. Even one more from the life of Jesus. You know, there's stories where it's clear Jesus is on his way to do something, and a woman with an issue of blood comes up, and Jesus does not have this in his day plan. It doesn't seem, and she touches the hem of his garment, and she's healed. And Jesus is not doing what he's doing for her because he had, and again, air quotes, sovereignly planned to do it. He's doing it because she asked asked and expected that of him. Faith definitely moves the heart of God. Now, in the bigger questions of God's sovereignty, we realize that being in control of it all, he creates those situations to put us in places where he wants us to ask. 
And I know that starts to make your head start to spin, but God actually created the situation and put Moses in a place where he was supposed to ask. He put the woman, you know, he walked near the woman because he wanted her to reach out. So yes, God's sovereignty is mixed up in all of that. And I gave up a long time ago trying to figure that stuff out and thought, I'm just going to receive what the Bible teaches and ask, because I know that the way that God accomplishes what he accomplishes on earth, he does so through the agency of prayer. And I'm going to pray, and I'll let the mysteries of God's sovereignty, I'll let God explain those to me one day in heaven. A lot of times I feel like we're on, does prayer really do me any good? I talk, 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 but I don't take time to listen. I'm Scott Harold on SWS Radio. We're talking with J.D. Greer today. I mean, you, know, you think about, we have the same source power that Jesus and the early church did in the Gospels, but if we don't actually take time to converse with God, we miss a lot about who He is. Yeah, that's right. And you bring up Jesus. I mean, if there were ever one person who should have filled the need to pray, it would be Jesus. I mean, he's God. He's perfect. But you know, before Jesus, as one example, made a decision about calling his disciples before he chose them, Matthew says he spent all night in prayer. And if Jesus needs that kind of time with his father before making decisions, how much more you and me? The Gospel of Luke in particular shows how Jesus's life was saturated with prayer, and he loved it. He wanted to be with his heavenly father, and he knew he needed the strength that came from, from the heavenly father. In the book of Acts, you know, Acts does not read like a group of really competent, you know, pastor leaders that are getting together to try to evangelize the world. It it really reads like a group of people who have no idea what they're doing, but they are often in prayer and the Spirit of God is moving in them and through them. The, the greatest missionary movement the world's ever known, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, you know, the kind of mission trip that started it all, so to speak, that didn't come out of a missions conference. It came out of a prayer meeting, Acts 13. It's while they were praying. That's when God raised up Paul and Barnabas. Same thing happens in the church today. Is that We think that we do the ministry and prayer supports it. But prayer is the ministry. It is by praying and calling out on God's name that the best ideas, the best leaders, that they emerge. And most churches have prayer as either an afterthought or something that just is sort of laced in the background. I think if we want to see the kind of things they saw in the book of Acts, it's got to become a part of the core ministry of the church. It's funny how we pray about the work we're doing, and a lot of times we forget that prayer actually is that work. And we're talking with J.D. Greer today at SWS Radio. J.D., do you feel like repentance is correlated to the impact of our prayers? Yeah, I mean, certainly. I think one of the ways I talk about it in the book is sometimes we're talking to God about things we want Him to do, and God's like, look, there's a whole set of things that you know that I want you to do that you're not doing. The psalmist says, if I regarded iniquity in my heart, you would not hear me. And it means that for the believer, when you're doing things that you know are outside of God's will, then there is a, a breach in your relationship with God. And that doesn't mean that you know you stop being his child or that he's going to judge you, because thankfully he poured out all judgment on Jesus. But it does mean that there's a break in fellowship, that there's got to be confession and repentance and then you're in a place where you can say, God, here's what I need, and, and let not my will but yours be done. Now, let's get practical for a minute, J.D. I mean, like, what's helped you to develop a prayer strategy to get you moving with some momentum when you feel like your prayers are just cold that day? I'll give you a sort of a big-picture answer and a small-picture answer, okay? The big-picture answer is learning the love that your Heavenly Father has for you and His willingness to help you. 
most people think that prayer is a self-discipline problem or prayerlessness is a self-discipline problem. You don't pray for the same reason that you don't work out enough or eat enough kale salad. It's just it's a discipline <laughs> thing. But really what the Bible teaches you is that prayer is the fruit of realizing the closeness of the Heavenly Father to you. It is the result of understanding how much he wants to help you, how the fact that he has put anything that would make him angry about you, he's put that onto the head of Jesus, and Jesus has paid for your sin, and God himself has died for you and taken that away. When you realize that closeness, it creates a desire where prayer becomes as instinctive as breathing. You know, I mean, the the least disciplined person listening to your show, Scott, is breathing, right? I mean, and and everything else in your life may be out of control, but since you got up this morning, you've been taking breaths, you know, every few seconds on the second, and you don't have accountability partners that you're calling and saying, hey, would you, you remind me to breathe? I mean, nobody does that because your body craves air. When the gospel has properly shaped and cultivated your soul, that's how prayer, that's how it becomes. You know, my dad tells a story, and I, I repeat it in the book because I've probably learned more about prayer from him than anybody else. And he said, you know, he said, when I was a younger Christian, when he was in his 20s, he said, I just, I really could not find the discipline to pray. And I, I made all these resolutions and it never happened. And he said, finally, I said, I'm going to do it. I have to do it. He said, I set my alarm clock 15 minutes early and I was going to get up and pray. He said, next morning, I woke up 15 minutes before the alarm clock went off. And I was like, God, this wasn't the deal. I was going to you know, wake up at this time. And he said, it was one of those moments where I, I sensed the heavenly father you know, whispering to my spirit. And he said, I know, but I couldn't wait to begin this time with you. I woke you up early because I was anxious. I was ready to spend this time with you. And and my dad said that learning the desire of the Heavenly Father for him is what produced a desire for the Heavenly Father in him. And I think that's sort of the big picture of this. The small picture, and I'll just say this really quickly. Sometimes we want to start with big, grand dreams. You know, Jesus prayed all night. I should pray all night. Martin Luther prayed for four hours before he started the day. I should do that. Yeah, I've done stuff like that a bunch of times and made it, you know, six or seven minutes before I was either asleep or thinking about what I watched on Netflix the night before. I would say that, you know, start small. Um, One of the things I say in the book is start with 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day for 21 days. You can do that. And just for 10 minutes a day, pray. I give you some suggestions in the book about how to organize that prayer time using the Lord's Prayer or the scriptures you're reading or set of cards you can make. Just spend that 10 minutes, 21 days, and when you get done with the 21 days, it'll be harder to stop that than it was to start it. We're talking about praying bolder prayers today with J.D. Greer on SWS Radio. And J.D., for any of us that have grown up in any sort of church, so it's like you memorize the Lord's Prayer. You say it a thousand times, but we don't break it down and think we're, the disciples were watching as Jesus was healing the sick and he was going up on the mountain and getting out in the quiet by himself. And then the next thing you know, you see him walking on water later that night. And you see this consistency of all the things that Jesus was doing. But then he goes into the quiet. He charged up by spending in time with the Father. You know, when we say the Lord's Prayer, a lot of times we just kind of gloss over it and we think about it like it's simple, but there's so much in there is like a way to model our prayers and look at like strategy for breaking through. Yeah, Scott, you used the word there at the end, and I prefer the title of the model prayer over the Lord's Prayer because Jesus wasn't giving that as just the way that he prayed every day as much as it was a model for how we should pray. That's what he says when he introduces it. You know, when you pray, pray like this. This is your model. In the book, just ask, I have a whole section where I go through 
the Lord's Prayer and say, this is the model for how all of our prayers should sound. It's not that you just repeat the words. In fact, that's the worst way to use the prayer. One of the, the best analogies that I've heard comes from a guy named Tim Keller, and I explain this in the book, is that you basically you riff on the Lord's Prayer. Riff is what a jazz musician does. They take a melody line. And the melody line is always in the background, but they're playing their own personal creative take on that melody line. If they lose the melody line, it just sounds like chaos. But what makes jazz jazz is that you riff on a melody line. Well, that's how you should use the the Lord's Prayer or the, the model prayer. You start with each phrase and then you personalize it. You pray the ways that you want to see his kingdom come. You struggle with the ways that you know his will needs to be done and how to submit to it in various areas. And uh, you know, you're asking him not just for daily bread, but you're, you're actually praying for the, everything you need to accomplish his will for that day. You're, you're calling those things out to him. And so, yeah, riff on it. Use it. Most of our prayers ought to have the shape and the, the rhythm of the Lord's Prayer just in a very personal way in our own words. Well, we're talking with J.D. Greer today at SWIS Radio and his latest book. It's called Just Ask. Digs into the joy of confident, bold, patient, relentless, shameless, dependent, grateful, powerful, expectant prayer. That's what it's all about. Thanks for your time today, J.D. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Thanks for streaming Scott Harold's podcast from SOS Radio. If, if you're one of our regular listeners, would you consider giving it a five-star rating? It really helps spread the word.